text for this morning's message is Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, beginning in verse 13, reading through verse 21. In just a moment, I want to read that uh, scripture with you and invite you to reflect with me upon uh, some very important teachings of Jesus. And uh, before we do that, I'd like to invite us to a time of prayer. Would you bow with me? It's so good to be in God's presence. It's so good to be in God's presence together. That's the richness of corporate worship. We're not doing solos. We're doing symphonies of prayer and praise. And so I give you some time and space to form your own prayer of thanksgiving or confession or petition to God or to just sit silently in the presence of the holy and then I'll lead us in family prayer. Our loving and great God, we thank you for the rich privilege of worship, for this time of prayer, when we not only lift up praise to you, but we share our needs and we confess our sins, and we plead with you for your intervention in our lives and in our world. Help us today to see beyond ourselves and to pray beyond ourselves, that we might lift up to you community needs and national needs and global needs where there is injustice and pain, where there is war and hunger, where there is a spiritual malaise and a lack of knowledge of you, where the name of Jesus needs to be lifted up and received. Lord, we place all of our lives in your divine perspective. We place all of our burdens, all of our worries in your perspective and in your care that with your great strong arms you might lift us and love us, help and comfort those who are struggling with doubts and fears and heartaches this morning. And Lord, where our suffering is due to our own poor choices, help us to repent. Where our suffering is due to the wrongs of others, help us to forgive. Grow us in your discipline through the trials of life to be brought closer to you, not driven away. And bless your church today as we move toward implementing our dreams, your dreams. Give us a passion for people and a deep love for you. And, oh God, bless our time together around this important text that the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. And if you're able, would you stand, please, as God's Word comes among us. And listen prayerfully as I read this aloud. Someone in the crowd said to him, that is to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, 
Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. When I was a little guy, uh, I shared a couple of used, beat-up tricycles with my siblings. Then I got a little bit older and uh, learned to ride a bicycle. Wanted a bicycle of my own. And I remember uh, before that Christmas that it finally happened, thinking to myself, if I could just have a bicycle, I would never want for anything else in my life. And there it was Christmas morning, a bright, shining new bicycle. It was fun. And I loved it. But then, you know, I had to share it with my brothers. And I found out that my friends had bicycles that were bigger that had handbrakes, that had speeds. And I decided my bicycle wasn't quite everything I'd wanted. Plus, about that time, I decided that there were other modes of transportation with wheels that you didn't have to pump. You turn the ignition, and you hit the accelerator, and you shift gears. I started wanting a car. Uh, Being a typical American boy, I, I thought that would make my life complete. And I remember when I got my first car thinking, I am never going to want for anything else in my life ever again. But you know what happened. My car didn't have air conditioning. And my car didn't have the cool speakers the way some of my friends' cars had cool speakers. And you know where this is going, don't you? Shiny bicycles are never enough. Because there's always something more out there, isn't there? There's always someone with a shinier one, a fancier one, and and that's the way life is. And that's what the scripture is about this morning. Jesus was approached by someone who said, I want you to settle an inheritance dispute between my brother and me. Now, I've been to seminary, and I learned you don't get between family members squabbling over an inheritance. You just stay out of it. Jesus was a rabbi, and people often went to rabbis and asked rabbis, to mediate family disputes, but Jesus wasn't taking the bait. In fact, Jesus said uh, something totally different. He, he was honest with them. He, he, he's very blunt. Rather than get to the dispute, he goes to the heart and the motive, and he says, take care, verse 15, and be on your guard against all kinds of greed. That's pretty blunt. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now, I want you to just step back for a moment and think about this. If people in Jesus' day had to be on their guard against all kinds of greed, where does that leave us? We are bombarded with messages every time we open our smartphone, every time we want to read an article. We can't get to all of the article for all of the ads. The TV, the radio, the billboards, the constant messaging that our life is not complete until we get another shiny new bicycle. 
that more and more is the answer. Noted economist uh, John Kenneth Galbraith once said, the danger of our current market economy is not so much that it responds to existing needs as that it, it creates the needs which it presumes to satisfy. You get that? That the current market economy doesn't just exist to meet needs, it fabricates needs so that it can meet those and produce its own, its own demand. And that's true, isn't it? And the question that this scripture is dealing with is, how much is enough? That's a tough question. How much is enough? How do I separate my needs from my wants? That's, that's tough, particularly in a middle-class Western culture like ours. You know the old story about the reporter who was interviewing the millionaire and the reporter finally asked the millionaire, how much money would you have to have to finally feel like you had enough? And you know the answer. The millionaire answered, one dollar more. How much would you have to have to feel secure? I'll ask you that. How much would you have to have to feel secure? And usually for most of us, it's one dollar more. One more shiny bicycle. And so to help teach his lesson, as Jesus often did, about being on our guard uh, against all kinds of greed, he tells this parable, this story. There was this farmer. His land was rich. The soil was marvelous and the crops kept coming in and the, the man stored all of the grain and then he had to, uh, ran out of room and he said, I've got to build more barns. And wow, it's, it's just amazing. And then, then one, one day he died. And God asked him, whose will this be now? Jesus told that story. The man, the farmer in the story, was intoxicated with his own success. He was intoxicated not only with his success, but with himself. I, I went through this week and I counted the first person pronouns as the man describes himself. I want you to just listen. Verse 17, I, I, my. Verse 18, I, I, my, I, my, my. Verse 19, I, my. Sounds like I'm learning to speak a new language, right? But here's the worst part. In that short little story, the man talks about my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, and here's the, here's the real clinker. My soul. He calls his soul his own. He presumes to believe that it's my soul to do with as I please. But it's not really true, is it? There's an interesting statement that the farmer makes in verse uh, 17. It's a question, really. He thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Now, 
When Jesus was telling this story to the people who were listening, what do you suppose the hungry people around him were thinking when they heard a story about a rich man who said, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got such big problems. I don't know what to do with all my crops. What do you suppose a hungry person thought when they heard that story? What do you suppose a homeless person thought when they heard that story? There's a phrase that is used today that talks about the difference between first world problems and third world problems. Or if you prefer, developed world problems and developing world problems. And it goes like this. Most of us spend our time fretting about first world kinds of problems. First world kind of problems are like, you know, the five vehicles I own are costing me an arm and a leg in insurance and license and registration. It's just really frustrating. First world problems are problems like, I need a better tax shelter. Uh, I'm, I'm having to pay too many taxes. I, I need to find a way, because I'm making enough money, I, I need to find a way to not give so ba- much back to Uncle Sam. Those are real problems, but those are first world problems. You know what third world or developing world problems are? How are we going to feed the baby till the next paycheck? Where are we going to find clean drinking water in this village? Where are we going to sleep tonight? Those are third world or developing world kinds of questions. And what the farmer was asking was a first world kind of question. What am I going to do with all my money? See, I, I'd really have rather not have preached on this text because I'm very uncomfortable with the implications of it. I don't like the way that money and comfort changes us, me included. You see, when you, do, when you achieve a degree of security and comfort in your life, it skews your vision. You don't even realize it happens unless you're honestly reading the Gospels. You don't even realize how possessions and security and comfort can skew our vision. They skew our vision of ourselves. We start thinking we deserve this success, that we've done it all ourselves. Comfort and possessions skew our vision of God. We begin to think that God exists to make us happy. They skew our vision of others. It's their fault they can't get ahead in life. And those things skew our vision of our world. Not my problem. I've got mine. You know what I'm talking about? Without even realizing it, those changes in perspective happen. Now, if you were to do a one-word obituary for this rich rich man, uh, in Jesus' day and in our day, the one-word obituary for this rich man might read successful. 
prosperous, intelligent. Jesus gave him a one-word obituary. Fool, fool, living for the wrong things, fool. Isn't it ironic that the very things we crave, thinking they will give us security, are the things that actually produce anxiety? We think if we have enough shiny bicycles, they will create security, but in fact, those very things create anxiety. Fool, Jesus said. So you might be wondering at this point, well, what's a person to do as we try to distinguish between needs and wants? How much is enough? Is there a five-step guide somewhere in the Bible? Is there an A, B, C, D, and E? Well, no. There are just these words of Jesus. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And then there's this story. The story that kind of warns us, don't be like this rich farmer who could not see beyond himself, but there's more, who could not see beyond this life. And I don't know that I'd ever thought about it before. I've preached on this text many, many times. But this week, uh, I I was amazed as, as I was reading some commentaries and thinking about this. It's not just that the man dies. It's that he dies and has to give an account to God. Did you notice the two phrases, the one in verse 19 the goods laid up for many years, and then verse 20, but God says, this very night your soul will be required of you. Notice the juxtaposition of the one phrase, these many years, and the other phrase against it, this very night. We make an assumption and presumption that we have these many years, and yet God says this very night. So the reality for us is not just that we're going to meet God, not just that we're going to die, but that we're going to be accountable to God for how what we've done with Jesus Christ, His Son, for what we've done with our possessions, and for what we have, how we have treated other people in all of that. We are going to stand before God. And this last verse in our text, verse 21 Sort of a summary statement. Jesus says, so it, so it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. I am so very burdened. So, so very burdened. For the secular, unchurched people in our community who are living for the wrong things and who need Jesus. A part of our visioning process that will lead to implementing our dreams is is a way for us to be more laser-focused as a congregation in sharing the message with our community which says there is more out there than shiny bicycles. There's something more satisfying 
There's something more lasting, and that something is a someone. It is Jesus Christ. How He can come into your life and forgive you and reorder your priorities and give you new joy and a freedom and a purpose and the hope of life that is forever and a new love and new desires. That when we come to Jesus and Jesus comes to us, we never view possessions like we used to. And do you remember what Stephen Covey used to teach in those seven habits of highly successful people? He said, if you want to succeed in life, you start with the end in mind, and then you work your way back. So Jesus is basically saying, what do you want your one-word obituary to be? Not six words, Teresa, one. What do you want your one-word obituary to be? You start with the end in mind and work your way back. So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but who are not rich toward God. To be able to be rich toward God. To know Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Loving God, we thank you for mercies new every morning, for your patience with us. Pour out your spirit upon us now as we sort priorities and as we seek to follow Jesus more intentionally. Please remain with your head bowed for just a few moments as we prepare for our response time. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've been trusting in stuff or in just your own bootstraps, your own success, but you know sooner or later we come up against something or someone greater than us and there's a brokenness that comes to life when we finally acknowledge I can't manage my life by myself. I need a pilot. I need a guide. I need a savior. I need someone to rescue me. Would you turn, repent of that pride that has shut God out and open your life to Jesus this morning? Be here at the front to pray with you if you're ready to do that. Maybe you want to come and pray about something else. Maybe you're already a Christian. Want to come pray about something or maybe you want to join our church. Maybe God's calling you to a special ministry. Whatever it is, the response time, the altar is open to everyone. Amen.